So we are in Genesis 22. Uh, we are wrapping up a sermon series. We're wrapping up um, this journey to the cross through uh, the Christmas story. We've been so far, if you haven't been with us, we've been in Genesis 22, which is a really unique story where God comes to Abraham and tells Abraham to take his son Isaac up onto a mountain and to sacrifice him there as a burnt offering. And so, so far in this series, we have seen uh, the correlation not only between Abraham and, and our own lives, but especially how Abraham's story with Isaac points to the story of Jesus and really the, the real Christmas story um, as Jesus took his journey in obedience and trust, just like Abraham, and ultimately laying his life down as a substitute sacrifice uh, for the sins of the world. And so this Sunday, we're going to be looking at specifically the journey of promise. Now, during this time of year, as it is fitting, we typically, as Christians, will look at the prophecies of the Old Testament that point to the birth of Jesus. There are, over, there are several hundred prophecies that Jesus himself fulfills through his birth, his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. This year, specifically, though, what we want to look at is the promise. As we survey the Old Testament, we see God over and over again making a promise to his people, and really, all the promises of the Old Testament are stitched together. And we see this clearly, and we will see it clearly today as God makes a promise to Abraham in Genesis 22. So at the last minute, um, just to catch you up last week, at the last minute, as Abraham was there ready to offer his son Isaac as a burnt sacrifice, God provided a ram caught in the thorns to be a substitute sacrifice for Isaac. And so the very next verse is verse 15. So Genesis 22, starting in verse 15, we read, And the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn, declares the Lord, because you have done this and not withheld your son, your only son, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is on the seashore. And your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies. And in your offspring shall all the nations of earth be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And so this story of Abraham and Isaac ends with a promise. Actually, it ends with several promises. God speaks three different promises there to Abraham. He says to Abraham, since you have not withheld your son from me, you have obeyed my voice, you've trusted in me, you've offered Isaac to me, I'm gonna do some things for you, to you, and through you. Now, if we think about the whole Old Testament and the promises that God makes, in a lot of ways, the Old Testament ends leaving some of those promises hanging. There's a little little lingering in the air, if you will, of when is God gonna fulfill these promises? So I'll I'll just walk through a few of them. All the way back in Genesis 2 in the garden, God makes a promise to Adam. Adam, you can eat from everything you see except for this one tree. The day you eat of it, you will surely die, right? And yet, when Adam and Eve in the very next chapter eat of it, they don't immediately die. And we ask the question, well, where's the, where's the death? And then in the very next chapter, after they eat from the tree and they disobey God, God comes to the serpent and to Adam and Eve and says some things and to Eve or to the serpent he says listen there's going to come a day when one of Eve's descendants is going to step on your head and crush your head yet all throughout the Old Testament we see the work of God's enemy Satan working to manipulate and to lie and to to, to twist and to create fear and to to lead God's people into disobedience and so we've yet to see the crushing 
of the head of the serpent. A few chapters later in Genesis 12 was the first time that we, we uh, see God speaking to Abraham. And he says, Abraham, get ready to pack up your stuff. We're going to go on a journey together. And, and here's the thing. I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to turn you into a great nation. You're going to have so many descendants that they're going to become a great nation. And through your descendants, I will bless all other nations. Of course, we get to Genesis 22, and Isaac is, right, the hallmark, the the icon of this blessing to the nations, and God says, go offer up your son Isaac as a sacrifice, and here now in 22, God is saying once again, Abraham, I'm going to do something through Isaac. If we keep moving forward in the Old Testament, we get to stories like King David in in 2 Samuel 7, where, where God comes to David and says, David, I'm going to do something big through your descendants. I'm actually going to raise up a king from your lineage to sit on the throne of the kingdom of God forever. And then last week we looked in Isaiah 53 how the prophet Isaiah described this coming king as not a bold, proud, victorious, loud king, but this new king would come as a humble, suffering servant to offer up his life as a sacrifice and a ransom for the sins of many. And so the Old Testament kind of leaves us hanging with, God, when are you going to fulfill all these promises that you've made? So specifically here in Genesis 22, God speaks three promises, and we're going to walk through them together. The first one's in the first part of verse 17 when he says to Abraham, I will surely bless you, and I will surely multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and as the sand that is in or on the seashore. Now, that's a big image, isn't it? God's presenting this this imagery of countless stars or countless grains of sand and saying, Abraham, you're not only going to have a big family, but this is a description of my kingdom. This is what I'm going to do through you. And we get to the New Testament, to Galatians 3, and we learn that God was talking about more than just the natural-born descendants of Abraham here. In Genesis 3, 7, or Galatians 3, 7, we're told it's those who are of faith who are the descendants of Abraham. So this promise included the Jews, the Hebrew nation, but more than that, right, this description of the stars in the sky included the Gentiles too. All who would come to believe by faith will be included in God's kingdom. Matter of fact, Galatians 3 ends with these words, there is neither Jew nor Greek. And if you are in Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Thousands of years later, Paul is saying this is what Jesus has come to do, to bring together this, this, the Jews and the Gentiles as one kingdom under God through faith. Now, one of the things, mistakes that we can make sometimes, especially in the modern day church or in a big church setting, is to think that we're just somehow a number Uh, and and God doesn't really know us specifically. If he just describes us as sand on the seashore, then I'm just a grain of sand. And here's what's so beautiful about our God is that he knows the name of every star and he weighs every grain of sand. And while his kingdom is described as, as the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore, you and I as grains of sand have been measured, each one of us, and God knows our name. As a matter of fact, he knows every hair on our heads. Some of us are making it a little easier on him than others. But that's how intimately God knows every one of these grains of sand. Now from here, 
God is going to begin to speak about Abraham's offspring, but he's going to switch now from talking about the multitude to talking about one specific offspring. As a matter of fact, in the Hebrew language, it's going to be singular, and it could have been also translated descendant. Listen to the rest of verse 17. And your offspring. He's no longer talking about the multitude. He's speaking about one specific descendant. And your descendant, your offspring, shall possess the gate of his enemies. Now, here's what we know about that. In Matthew 16, Jesus is with his disciples, and he asks them this question. Hey, who do you guys say that I am? And it's Peter who speaks up and says, you're the Christ, the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And Jesus responds to Peter, you're right, Peter. And you didn't figure this out on your own, but my Father in heaven revealed this to you. And upon this rock, this rock-solid proclamation that I am the Messiah, the Son of the living God, upon this rock I shall build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. See, all the way back in Genesis 22, thousands of years before Christ comes to establish his church, his kingdom here on earth, God is promising the church. This is why solid rock exists. This is why every Christian church on the face of the earth exists because God made a promise all the way back in Genesis 22 that his kingdom would not only be a multitude and be vast, but the gates of hell, the gates of his enemy would not prevail against the church, but the church would instead what? Prevail. We look through church history at all the attempts to, to, to stamp out the church, even from within corruption, and, and in the end, God's promises stand. And that's why you and I stand here today. We, we worship God here together because the gates of hell have not prevailed against his church. And so even back in Genesis 22, God is promising his church. Well, verse 18, the end of this promise, here's what God says to Abraham. In your offspring, we're still speaking singular here, so one descendant. In your descendant, your offspring, shall all the nations of the earth be blessed because you obeyed my voice. And now the promise is becoming very specific. Abraham, there's going to become a descendant from you, somebody from your lineage. And through that descendant, that specific offspring, all the nations will be blessed. Not just your family, not just your nation, but all the families, all the nations of earth will be blessed through one very distinct offspring or descendant. Now in Galatians chapter three, we get some insight here in verse eight. Um, The apostle Paul says that when God was speaking way back then to Abraham, um, the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham when he said, in you shall the nations be blessed. So we know what was on God's mind in Genesis 22 when he says that. What was on his mind? The gospel. As God is there speaking to Abraham, this promise that he will, I will bless you and your family will become a great nation. And through one specific uh, descendant, I will raise up a church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against his church. And through one specific descendant of yours, I will raise up this kingdom, this great nation, and all nations will be blessed through that one very distinct descendant. And so the Old Testament leaves us with this promise lingering in the air. Is God going to fulfill his promise? Just think about that. 
did God fulfill his promise? Genesis 2 to Adam. When you disobey me, where there is sin, there will be death. The day you surely eat of it, you will surely die. Did God fulfill his promise to Eve? One of your descendants, Eve, will, will trample and crush the head of the serpent. Did he fulfill Abraham, the promise to Abraham that I will bless you and your family will become a great nation? Not only that, one of your descendants will, will rise up and lead in such a way that the gates of hell will not prevail but instead, this descendant will become a blessing to the nations. Did he fulfill his promise to David when he said, David, listen, I'm going to rise up one of your descendants who will come after you and sit on the throne of my kingdom forever. Has God fulfilled the prophecy to, he gave to Isaiah in 53 that this king who would come would be a humble, suffering servant, led like a lamb to the slaughter to be, to be, to be sacrificed as a ransom for the sins of many. There's a beautiful promise um, or a, a beautiful um, scripture in the New Testament that you may not be aware of. It's in 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. And I think the Apostle Paul is thinking about all these questions, all these promises when he says to the church, for all the promises of God find their yes in him. Who's the him? Christ. That is why it is through him, Christ, that we utter our amen to glory or to God for his glory. What Paul is saying is all these promises that God made in the Old Testament, they find their yes in Christ. Did God punish sin with death? He did. He ultimately punished it with the death of his own son. Do you ever wonder why God didn't just strike Adam dead? The New Testament says that God was bearing with great patience the nation of Israel. Bearing with great patience the objects of his wrath. Knowing what? That something was coming. A day when all the punishment would be poured out on one, one descendant of Abraham, one descendant of David, the humble servant king of Isaiah 53. All the promises of the Old Testament, they culminate and find their fulfillment in Christ. This is why the very first verse in your New Testament, your very first verse in your New Testament says this. Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. The book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. Listen, the son of David, the son of whom? Abraham. The primary proclamation of the New Testament is this. He's here. All that God promised, he's here. The descendant of Abraham through which the nations we blessed, he's here. The king to sit on the throne of the kingdom of God forever, he's here. And his name is Jesus. And he is the Christ. I was thinking of a, of a story. I don't know if you like heroes, but I like heroes. And I like stories with heroes. And when I was a kid, I daydreamed about being a hero. And I had an experience about uh, 16 years ago. I was, uh, before I uh, stepped into full-time ministry, I was working on a ranch. Um, lived and worked there. And, and so I um, had a lot of fun because on the weekends we would piddle. You ever piddle? just means you just kind of do whatever you feel like doing. And so um, we would piddle on the weekends, and um, it's a really large ranch. And uh, there was one particular Saturday I invited a friend out who goes to church here, by the way, Brian Walker. And, and he, Brian came out, and we were piddling. 
and uh, we decided, you know what, let's, let's build a campsite at the back of the ranch by this secluded lake that's hard to get to, and we'll use big pieces of stone, kind of like Stonehenge, we'll build this campsite. So a big table with this big stone top on it and a, and a fire ring out of stone and benches that you sit on made out of stone. We had this great idea. So we set out on Saturday morning, and we took the tractor out, and we excavated these big chunks of limestone that were about this thick, stood about this tall, we put them in the dump truck, and we hauled them way back to the back of the ranch and dumped them out, and we were going to build this Stonehenge campsite. And so the first, at the very beginning, we were talking about how to do this. Okay, here's what I'm going to do, Brian. I'm going to dig a hole with the front of the tractor, then I'm going to take one of these big stones, I'm going to push it off in the hole and stand it up with the bucket of the tractor, and then I don't know what we're going to do after that. So he said, okay. So he's standing there watching, and we dig a big hole, and I take one of these big stones and slide it over into the hole and pick it up until it's standing vertical, and I set the tractor bucket down on top of it just to hold it steady. And then I get off the tractor, and we're thinking about what to do next. I said, okay, here's the plan. Here's what we're going to do. Now, keep in mind, this rock is about as tall as Brian Walker, right? And so I said, Brian, here's what I want you to do. I want you to stand by this rock, okay? Put your hands on it like this, and I'm going to lift the tractor bucket up and out of the way, and I want you to balance this rock, and then I'm going to take dirt, and I'm going to fill in the hole around it, press it down, and then it'll stand, and so Brian says, that's like a brilliant idea, so I get back on the tractor, Brian's in place, I look at him, are you ready? Ready, he's got his hands on the rock, and so I pick this tractor bucket up and back the tractor back, and sure enough, that stone begins to just slowly fall over. Now, What Brian heard was, if the stone begins to fall over, put your body underneath it with everything you got and keep this thing from falling. Now, it just, it was almost like it was in slow motion, right? This stone began to slowly just fall. Brian's underneath it and just slowly but surely it just collapses and covers Brian Walker up except for his hands and his head just looking out, right? Wide-eyed, woo. And so I jump off the tractor and I run up there. Now, you, you hear about those superhuman moments? The stories where somebody lifts a car or a tree, and I'm thinking, this is my superhuman moment. I didn't see this coming. And so I jump over the rock, and I've got a foot on either side, and I, and I reach down to pick this rock up off of Brian. I'm thinking, they're going to write about this in the newspaper. This is going to be great. And as soon as I begin to try to pick up this rock, I don't know what happened. I just started giggling. I don't know if you've ever tried to lift an extremely heavy boulder while you're laughing. It's not happening. I'm just, I'm heaving, and I just start giggling and laughing, and Brian's looking at me. What are you doing? And And then after a few minutes, we realized that the rock had pressed him into the soft ground, and we just dug out from underneath it and pulled him out, and he didn't have a broken bone. He was fine. But here's what I learned. I am a lousy hero. When it matters, when somebody's life is on the line, Right? When I want to be the save the day kind of hero, I fall short. You're a lousy hero too. Do you know that's what the Old Testament is about? Story after story, character after character, example after example, God is showing us that human beings make lousy heroes. And that's why we keep getting the promise, reminding us we need a better hero. That's what the manger is about. God's proclamation to the world, I am sending you a better hero. I'm sending my son. Christmas is about celebrating God's yes to all the promises he made in the Old Testament. 
God was saying yes by sending his son to be born as a servant king. In Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, we see God's perfect timing to fulfill all of God's promises. Like Abraham and Isaac, Jesus' birth at the manger is the beginning of his difficult journey of trust, obedience, and sacrifice. And like the journey of Abraham and Isaac up the mountain as Jesus lived out his life here on earth, every day was one step up that mountain. Every step was a step in his journey towards ultimately the altar of the cross where he would lay down his life as a perfect substitute sacrifice for us. When I say us, I'm not excluding you. When I say us, I mean the sins of the world. You're included in that. That all who trust in him shall be saved. This is God's promise to Abraham in Genesis 22, and this is God's promise to you. The real meaning of Christmas is this. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's what Christmas is all about. I don't know if you've come to that place in your journey, like Abraham, where he truly had to take a hold of hand of God and say, I trust you in this. I don't know if you've come to that place in your journey where you have totally trusted in God and him alone, but that's what Christmas is about. And so if that's you and you're here today, I want you to know that God has sent a hero to save you to die in your place, to forgive you of your sins and to give you eternal life. There's no greater Christmas gift that you could receive that would be greater than the salvation that God provides through Jesus. And so as I pray in a moment, I'm gonna invite our prayer partners to come forward. And um, our prayer partners are just folks from our church who enjoy praying with people. So if there's anything going on in your life that you'd like to have somebody pray with you about, they're here for you. And especially if you're here today, and you've not taken that step of trusting in Jesus for the first time, they would be honored to talk with you and to pray with you about making that decision. I'll invite our worship team up and our our prayer partners to come forward, and I'd like to lead us in a time of prayer now if you would pray with me. Um, Father, thank you for this beautiful promise that you made, and thank you for including us when you made it to Abraham. Father, thank you for once again in your infinite wisdom, your infinite glory, your infinite goodness. God, revealing to us the real meaning of Christmas. It's the birth of your son, the real hero of the story, the fulfillment of all your promises. Father, this morning we gather our hearts together to celebrate and to worship the birth of our Savior. Maybe somebody here today who's not taken that step to trust in Jesus, today would be that day, God. I pray the day of salvation, the day to take a step of faith, to trust in Jesus and him alone, that they might have forgiveness of sins and salvation. God, I pray your Holy Spirit would stir our hearts, our affections, that Christmas truly would be a time of worship. God, for this people, this church. We pray all this in Jesus' powerful name.